CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The Andersonville Chamber of Commerce hosts Andersonville at Home for the Holidays, a virtual variety show streaming online this Sunday, December 13th at 7 p.m. Tune in for the holiday tunes, warm feels, and shop, dine, celebrate, and self-care from the small business community that needs your support. The program premieres on both the Chamber's Facebook and YouTube with live commenting during the show. For more information, go to andersonville.org. Hour number two of the Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you in part by the Chicago Reader and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Vincent E. Normant. Yes, sir. Marijuana Hall of Fame. We can hear you. We can hear you loud and clear. And uh, we can even see you. You can't see me because I don't have a camera on my computer, but I'm going to get one real soon, Vincent E. Normant. Uh, good friend of the Ben Jarowski Show. Welcome back, Vincent. Hey, glad to be here. Thank you very much. All right. Lots to talk about. Uh, lots and lots and lots of stuff to talk about with Vincent. A little politics talk, uh, a little sports talk. And a lot of a lot of reefer talk, and I just want to start with the sports talk, right, Dennis? Uh, and but there's political uh, ramifications uh, to this. Uh oh, uh, yes. And I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this out there and get your response. I'm a lifelong Chicago Bears fan. Uh, I the first football team I ever loved was the Bears. Gale Sayers, Dick Buckus, Bobby Douglas. I go back, okay. Dick Gordon, love the Bears. All right, Walter Sweetness Payton, Jim McMahon, the Fridge, etc., and so forth. Super Bowl winners in 1986. But I have quit on the Bears, and I'll tell you why. I believe, Vincent E. Normant, that the Chicago Bears management is, I don't want to say racist because that's such a loaded term, prejudiced. And they're prejudiced against black people who play quarterback. And I'm saying this right now because they could have drafted Patrick Mahomes, who's probably going to be the greatest quarterback of all time when all is said and done. You could argue Tom Brady. You know, it's early. Tommy Brady is hard to argue against. It's an enormous. But Patrick Mahomes, man, every time I watch that guy, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, the Bears could have drafted him. And if that wasn't bad enough, okay, the number two quarterback, in my humble opinion, in the NFL right now is Deshaun Watson, and he'll be playing against the Bears this weekend. He could have been drafted in that same draft. The Bears didn't even give him an interview, Vincent E. Norman. They didn't give him an interview, and instead they traded up. They gave away players for the rights to Mitch Trubisky, who's terrible. Vincent E. Norman, I look at what Patrick Mahomes and Watson have in common. They're both black men. I look at Mitch Trubisky, a white man. I come to the conclusion, based on that evidence, that the Bears have a bias against black quarterbacks. Your response? You know, uh, 
I think you're right. I think that, um, I mean, we do kind of like, you know, for the listeners, they'll be like, well, they, they had Cordell Stewart and they had, you know, Vince Evans. Black quarterback before the Vince Evans. But yeah. uh, that's been a long time coming. And there's been a shrewd of black quarterbacks that's coming to the NFL, you know, pretty much ripping uh, the football field apart. And yet we are stuck with a quarterback that can't even get the ball 60 yards down the field, can't even read defenses, but we traded up for him. So I think you're right. I think there's a, a, a true bias. Um, we can't say racist because they do have black players on the field, but we know that in that position, there is a uh, prejudice mm-hmm. amongst quarterbacks. So I agree. Yeah, and it's really bizarre that it still lingers. Vincent, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you and I, well, I'm old and, and I know that that bias was so prevalent uh, when I was a kid coming up. It was just like, well, if you had a, a black quarterback from a historically black college uh, coming into the pros, they'd move them to wide receiver. You know, they or they move them to defensive back even, you know what I'm saying? They, but they would not let the, the guy, but Doug Williams was the only one I could think of that they – the, the Washington uh, football team, I will not say their names, kept him at uh, quarterback. But most of them, let's move them to the back, to the uh, wide receiver. That bias exists in the 60s and 70s. What, what's... Yeah, I mean, Doug Williams was, you know, definitely uh, a pioneer. I mean, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers picked him in the first round. You know, one of the few uh, first, actually, uh, black quarterbacks to be picked in the first round. So he had a head start. You know, they believed in him out there in Tampa Bay. He had a pretty good career there. He got injured and then went on to Washington, the Redskins, at the time Redskins, and won the Super Bowl. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you know, as, as times has changed and just uh, the Chicago Bears haven't caught up yet. Mm. Are you still, do you still root for him, Vincent? I want the coach fired. And i tell you why. They fired Lovey Smith that finished the season 10-6. And by the way, Went to the Super Bowl, almost we almost won. You know, well, that's another story. Mm-hmm. They fired him at ten to six. This coach here, Nagy, has lost six games in a row. He should be fired. On record, I'm on record as saying that. He started out five and one, but this guy hasn't done nothing for us here in Chicago. Fire him. If he had been a black man, an African American, he would have been fired. Point blank. Well, I don't know if he got would have gotten a job in the first place if he'd been a black man. But uh, what about uh, Ryan Pace, the general manager, who's responsible for pass bypassing Patrick Mahomes uh, and Deshaun Watson and taking uh, Mitch Mitch Trubisky? What about his future? Um, he should go right with him. <laughs> Pack your bags. <laughs> Pack your bags and go. And here's a prime example: Detroit. They, they fired the general manager and the coach in midseason. If you cannot produce, you should be fired. You should yeah, be fired. Well, I, at the very least, I believe uh, some kind of explanation uh, should be offered. And it should be confronted. I know so many people who, who 
view it the way I just expressed it, uh, Vincent, who believe there's a bias that the Bears have. And I think the Bears owe it to people just to come forth and say, do you have, you know, explain, no, we don't have a bias. And this is why we took Trubisky uh, over these two exceedingly talented quarterbacks. I, I believe they owe that as an explanation to people. Instead, to pretend like it doesn't exist is an insult. Uh, you won't get that apology. You won't get any, uh, you know, uh, excuse or any kind of recognition or, uh, on why. On, they're not going to get that to you. Uh, this is a system uh, where they feel that they picked the right guy. They know that they're wrong now. And so they just hope that it plays out, you know, the way it is. But by the way, there's a quarterback that's sitting on the bench or injured. I think they're paying him somewhere like $15, $20 million. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we won't talk about the black quarterbacks that they passed up and free agents that they could have picked up. Colin Kaepernick, you mean that one? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no. God forbid they have Colin Kaepernick uh, on their football team. Uh, all right. Well, I'm through with the Bears. So uh, let's move on and let's get ourselves a cannabis update uh, in the state of Illinois. You've come on many times uh, to talk about the inequities of the cannabis program in the state of Illinois. Uh, the Illinois is very proud of the fact uh, that they legalize cannabis for recreational use, not just medicinal use. And they said it would be the first step uh, toward eradicating the injustices uh, created by the war on drugs for years and years. And guessing what? Lo and behold, I don't think there's still, uh, <laughs> it's like as bad as the bears. There's still, no, and there's still no uh, dispensaries owned by black people. So, uh, or, women, or, or women or Latinos uh, in the state of Illinois, you know, that's really unacceptable. Um, you know, the writing was on the wall. Um, you know, again, uh, the rich get richer. Uh, I am going to hope and I am going to advocate that uh, these companies, I won't mention any names, but I will say this. I hope that they do the right thing. I hope they, uh, you know, right the wrong. I hope they put up some funds uh, for uh, minority-owned uh, applicants as well as, uh, you know, women, Latinos, and, and, and really just, uh, you know, fix this problem because it starts at the top. But, you know, we're not going to let the politicians off the hook. We're not going to let JB off the hook, Governor. Uh, we're not going to let Tory Hutchinson off the hook. We're definitely not going to let the Black Caucus off the hook or any other Ottomans that want to stick their toe in the water. Um, you know, leadership is poor here in Illinois, and we need to hold these people accountable. So uh, if you got to vote, uh, the next time you vote, <laughs> Let's, let's vote for people that's going to do uh, the right thing for the state of Illinois and uh, include everybody, inclusion, uh, the way it should be. Uh, because evidently, uh, the leadership here is, is, is really broken. It needs to be fixed. We've got to stop putting people in office that's doing the same thing. We've got to stop that. Mm -hmm. Do you ever get an explanation, at least privately, from the powers that be in the state of Illinois as to what went happened, what went down? Uh, that led to the situation where so many white firms were uh, at the front of the list? No. You know, um, everybody has kind of danced around the question. Uh, we really haven't got a solid answer. 
you know, I, I, I feel bad when, you know, I mean, I, I campaigned for uh, JV. I posted them up on my social media. I uh, told my, uh, you know, my people to get uh, get the vote out. Let's vote for him. And, uh, you know, so uh, if I had to take my vote back, I would, you know. And uh, for that reason, for the simple fact that uh, this just not paying out like it's, like it's supposed to. And it goes back to the question of, you know, uh, Democrats are so comfortable in getting the black votes that, you know, they sit, they get them, and then they don't do anything. So uh, there's going to be some things changing and should be changing. And, uh, you know, speaking of uh, <coughs> uh, Stacey Agrins, her birthday is today, so I want to give her a shout out in Georgia. Um, you know, I know that's kind of going into another state, mm-hmm. but uh, <coughs> those people got out and they voted and they turned a red state into a blue state. Hallelujah. Let's get mm-hmm. it. By the way, you, it's, we, for a while there, you were heading into what I call Ice Cube Country, one of our favorite topics. Vincent and I uh, love having a little Ice Cube conversation. Ice Cube, uh, the enormously successful businessman, uh, who producer, director, writer, uh, musician, actor, all these things. Uh, got himself in the political hot water uh, by kind of sort of endorsing Donald John Trump. And uh, he said it was because he got a better response from Trump uh, to his plan uh, to spend money in the black community. Uh, and then uh, he kind of went underground for a while. Vincent E. Norman, uh, Ice Cube did when he got the feedback. And I saw I don't know if you saw this, but he issued a, um, a post, I think it was on Instagram. I don't know where I, or Twitter. I, I, I actually, I think I saw it on Twitter where he basically, you know, responded. Uh, but when, when you uh, said you to take back your vote for Pritzker, you kind of were heading into ice cube country there. Do you agree with me? Uh, well, you know, uh, you know, we talked about this. I, I kind of disagree with you on this one because uh, I did understand where ice cube was coming from. You know, if you're going to sit and you have an agenda, you know, uh, for, the people that you represent and you're not getting any uh, <clears throat> response where you feel uh, from the Democrats at that time and you're getting a response from the Republicans. And, and yeah, we know Donald Trump is Donald Trump. Okay. You know, you can't take his word for anything, but uh, I did understand where uh, there was a platform and there was an opportunity uh, to listen to what Ice Cube was bringing to the table, and so he took he took it, and uh, I'm not blaming him for that. I think that uh, uh, I would have did the same thing, uh, cautiously, very cautiously. But at the end of the day, um, you know, the black community has suffered, you know, and we all know that uh, the Latino community has suffered, you know, um, and in general. Uh, women and I could get the justice that they deserve too on certain platforms. So um, again, you know, uh, we got to be a voice for the community. You know, we got to talk about inclusion and, uh, and fairness and righteousness, you know? Um, so I'm not going to hold him accountable for that. I'm going to, you know, take it as, you know, uh, there was an opportunity. He took it and, um, you know, fortunately, um, I think things have panned out. Yes, things panned out because the candidate that Ice Cube was sort of endorsing lost, uh, even though he won't admit it. And and I hear what you're saying. I I I, I listened to uh, uh, his statement that he issued the other day. 
Uh, and you could tell he was upset. He could tell that uh, the criticism he was receiving uh, was stinging. Uh, and he, you know, he did. Many people have said that his um, kind of sort of support for Donald Trump was a result of him appreciating the tax cuts uh, that Donald Trump uh, got the, the Senate to pass. And let's not kid ourselves, Vincent. Uh, Ice Cube is an enormously wealthy man, and those tax cuts undoubtedly saved him a lot of money. Uh, but he made a point of saying it wasn't the tax cuts. If people think it's the tax cuts, they don't understand. Uh, okay, well, let it go at that uh, on the tax cut thing. My problem, as I told you before, is that Effectively, Donald Trump gave him lip service. Uh, Donald Trump gave him a pledge that was worthless. So it's basically Donald Trump and Joe Biden had the response, same response, which was nothing. So giving an accolade to Donald Trump when he has essentially had the same response to your proposal that Joe Biden is, is sort of like what? Uh, rewarding someone for lying to you. That was my problem uh, with what, how Ice Cube handled it. Yeah, I, I think that was misinformation. Uh, I don't think he officially endorsed it, Donald Trump. Let's say that. I don't, you know, I think he vocalized the fact that Donald Trump gave him an opportunity to present uh, his plan for economic financial development uh, to the government. And, and so... There's a difference. And, and once he found out that, uh, like you said, lift service was being given, uh, he stepped away from it. Now, people wanted to, you know, say that uh, he flipped, said that he was endorsing Donald Trump. He was supporting it. Um, like I said, I, I know Ice Cube and I, I, I know the man. And for the simple fact, that wasn't the case. You know, so again, you know, I stand by him, you know, and, uh, you know, that's that's just it. All right. Uh, let's move on for Ice Cube. We'll probably be having this conversation for the next 30 years, Vincent E. Norman and myself. Uh, let's talk instead about uh, the um, cannabis bill uh, in Congress. Vincent, th this this is this is my <laughs> Republicans, man. What piece of work they are. And this is a bill that would have decriminalized marijuana on a national level. And it's one thing for the state of Illinois to legalize uh, the sale of recreational marijuana. But as long as it's uh, against the law on a national level, from uh, as terms of what the federal government uh, views things, it's always going to undercut the industry make it that much uh, difficult uh, to get loans, make it that much difficult to operate. Uh, the inconsistencies from one state to another just is a very problematic. Uh, and so the Dems made an effort to decriminalize. It passed uh, in the House. Uh, I think mostly Democrats voted for it. The overwhelming majority of Republicans voted no. And then the Senate wouldn't even uh, give it a vote. What do you think is going on here, Vincent, uh, with the games they're playing in Congress? I think exactly that's what it is. It's uh, games are being play played. Uh, I call it uh, marijuana games. Um, I think that when we get into 2021, a new administration, uh, the campaign and everything, I 
I really believe that this is going to be looked at a little bit more in detail and um, the Senate is going to do the right thing. It would definitely help if we get those two Senate seats in Georgia. <laughs> that would uh, pretty much sealed it. But uh, <clears throat> I think some of the senators uh, with the right pressure is going to flip and, and, and vote for the legalization of uh, marijuana federally. And the reason why is if you look at it, uh, the red state, uh, Mississippi, voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump, but also voted overwhelmingly for the legalization of uh, medical marijuana. You know, and that, and that happened also in uh, South Dakota as well, you know. So um, we talk about and kind of the lead in on how uh, the majority on, uh, of the people in Oklahoma spoke and then the majority uh, voted for the Republican uh, candidate, Donald Trump. I think a little bit over 60%. But that state, which is a red state, voted for the legalization of medical marijuana, and they're doing quite well. So talk about uh, a role model. Oklahoma is it. Yeah, talk about that. that you sent me the articles. Uh, it really caught me off guard. I never thought of Oklahoma as being a home base uh, to the cannabis industry. Uh, but there's a thriving market in Oklahoma of people people growing, cultivating uh, marijuana and uh, booming business down there. A lot of people getting hired, a lot of money being made. Yes, it is. There's a lot of money being made in Oklahoma. You know, there's several black dispensary owners, somewhere in the tune around about 20 in the state. Uh, again, zero in Illinois. So, I mean, it, you know, they're giving people the opportunity. We're looking to uh, go down there and uh, set up shop as well and um, do business in Oklahoma, uh, partner with some of the people down there and open up dispensaries, uh, craft grow um, in the cannabis space in the industry. So, uh, yeah, they, they, they have the model. They're doing quite well, uh, black and brown folks, uh, women, uh, definitely uh, – a lot of women dispensary owners as well. So when you look at it, you know, and I say uh, Oklahoma is the model. Sometimes I get resistance. People say, well, but, but, you know, it's the wild, wild west. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, I rather see um, people of color, women, have the uh, opportunity uh, to uh, open up a dispensary or a craft grow license or infuse or whatever, then to have people of color being um, just financially uh, uh, overpriced. In, in other words, you know, the stakes are so high that, you know, financially they can't even get in, in the game. You know, states like uh, Florida, which is a multi-state operator, but you got to have somewhere around about three or four million dollars just to even uh, get at the table. Well, the, the curious thing about Oklahoma uh, and the curious thing in general about the way uh, this the 
cannabis plays out uh, politically uh, is that, as you said, Oklahoma's a red state voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump. And the prevailing attitude among Republicans in Congress is that they're opposed uh, to uh, decriminalizing marijuana, not even legalizing it, just decriminalizing it uh, and uh, overwhelming a vote against the measure uh, by the Republicans in the House of Representatives. Mitch McConnell, the Senate leader, the Republican uh, leader of the Senate, would not even let it come to the floor. He made fun of the House of Representatives for passing it, saying we have far more important things to do in the middle of a a pandemic than to pass marijuana legislation. And the five Democrats uh, in the House who voted against it, Vincent, are all from swing districts like Sherry Bustos here in Illinois or uh, Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania and uh, on Chris Pappas, uh, who uh, also voted against it. And it's like the notion is that somehow or other uh, MAGA, Donald Trump people are against marijuana. But when you see it, actually, <laughs> in Oklahoma, they're rushing to embrace it. So I don't quite understand the mindset. Help me out with this one, Vincent. Why, why do Republican politicians and Democratic politicians still cling to this notion that to look tough on law and order, you've got to be against the legalization of marijuana or even the decriminalization of it, when in fact most people seem to be totally open-minded, even MAGA people, to having legal marijuana? Go ahead. Help me understand this. So here's the problem. Let's lock up the same amount of white folks as we're locking up, and I say in percentage-wise, as we're locking up black folks, Latinos. Let's start locking them up and see what the, see how quick the Senate and see how quick the opinions change, you know. So, you know, what I mean by that is if, if 13% or a little bit over 13% of the, the population is uh, black and um, 70% is white, then let's lock up the same percentage that we lock up in blacks as we lock up with whites. And... Um, That'll solve that problem. The bottom line is, uh, you know, black people are looked at with no value whatsoever. Um, they contribute to uh, the prison system, which is a business. Uh, it's unfortunately, um, but you know, I think going into 2021, uh, there's going to be uh, a lot of discussion and uh, a lot of folks going to be let out. They should be let out. Um, prison for uh, marijuana use or possession, any of those things. And, and, and the bottom line is, uh, you know, we have to continue to have this conversation and uh, we have to continue to start valuing uh, black and brown people, uh, Latinos in this, uh, in this country. Um, and, and that's it. And if, if that doesn't happen, uh, you know, as Malcolm X said once about a time, you know, we have to revolutionize. You know, that's just it. We're going to, something's going to have to change. So I think when you when, when white people start feeling to be a little bit uncomfortable, you know, uh, things will get better. Uh, you know, that's unfortunately, but that's the bottom line. You know, uh, too many people are comfortable right now, and uh, that shouldn't be. We should be screaming at the top of our lungs that you know families are being broke up for a plant where, you know, people are trotting on social media, carrying pounds of, <clears throat> pounds of marijuana and selling it in these dispensaries at an alarming rate, you know, uh, that should be an outcry. And, uh, 
people that want to line their pockets, continue to line their pockets, continue to to look down on uh, you know other races and, and stuff like that. Uh, as they say, you know, time will tell. And I believe I, I really believe karma will come back on that. By the way, a, a billion dollar industry in Illinois. The time he shared his last article in the Sun Times, I believe he put it at one billion dollars uh, in the state of Illinois in terms of just revenue on legalized uh, marijuana. Just think about that, Vincent. A billion dollars. A billion dollars. Uh, and yet they won't decriminalize it in Congress. Just insane. You're right. In the Senate. So for- in the Senate, right. The House voted, the Democrats voted. I just want to point this out. The Democrats voted for it, except for the five Democrats who want to be act like Republicans. And then they died in, uh, I'll tell you what, I've said this many times, Vincent. Donald Trump is so unorthodox of a politician. I believe he could have come out for the legalization of marijuana. And it would have, MAGA would have just flipped on a switch. All those MAGA people who are against it, would vote for it in a heartbeat because they do whatever Trump tells them. Okay. So, right. Well, hold on a second. Back up. They voted for the legalization of marijuana. Yes. The, uh, Mississippi Congress, the, the, the politicians, law enforcement, the clergymen, uh, whoever else you want to name, was totally against the legalization of medical marijuana. But guess what? The people went to vote and they voted uh, the bill in. So they went actually against the Republicans, against the the politicians, against the preachers, the the clergymen, these ministers that carry these Bibles and with the strong arms of saying the Lord said. Hmm. So uh, at the end of the day, come on. Oh, man, this is, you know, some of these clergymen need to be, uh, you know, you know, uh, no, I, you, put on the firing line and, and called out on the carpet, too. You're right. You're right. Maga so, wants it. Maga wants it. And they, <laughs> but I tell you what, Trump did have the power because he's so unorthodox. But whatever, it's not on his agenda and he's leaving office soon anyway. Uh, so, We'll see what Biden does with it. All right, you, you pointed out something to me that had me shaking my head. Uh, and that was a movie. I think I saw this movie, Vincent, but it was so bad, I put it out of my mind. Uh, Couples Retreat, uh, a, uh, a Vince Vaughn movie. I think it's Dennis's favorite movie he ever saw. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Dennis>. <laughs> I just do that every now and then make make sure he's listening. Uh, Couples retreat. Uh, Tell the folks what they pulled, the stunt they pulled with the poster. You pointed it out to me. I hadn't seen that story. I had me, I was sending it to all my friends. I was laughing out loud. Let the people in on it. Well, you know, uh, again, Hollywood is up to their old tricks. So they, so they initially uh, took a picture of, I'm, I'm looking at the photo right now. Um, of the four couples, one being uh, African Americans, um, and that was supposed to be the uh, promotional poster for the movie. Well, somebody on the executive level decided to uh, leave the black couple out of the poster and reissued the poster um, into uh, <laughs> the media to promote the movie. Uh, 
minus the black guy, the black couple, I should say. Um, and I think that, you know, uh, along with a series of events with uh, Dave Chappelle, you know, calling out HBO Max, uh, CBS Viacom, and actually Netflix to take off the uh, take the Dave Chappelle show off their screaming services, which they did. Um, this allowed uh, this gentleman, uh, actor, uh, to come out and file a lawsuit for this uh, for for blatantly racism and discrimination. I mean, it's just so obvious when you look at one poster, he's in it, and the other poster, he's not. And that was the uh, poster that they did the promotions with. And then, you know, we got to think about it. Here we are in the 21st century. I think that movie came out a little bit over maybe three or four years ago. Uh, Nevertheless, even if it came out five years ago, 10 years ago, uh, you know, we still had to deal with this. Somebody should be called out on the carpet for this. You know, I don't know who made that decision, but uh, clearly that the, uh, the 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 top people went along with it. You know, they thought that the movie would sell better by xing out a black couple. That's that's so disrespectful. But then again, like I said, here we are again. You know, people are still trying to devalue the black community. It's sad. Well, the bizarre thing about it, Vincent, is that they put the black couple in the movie in the first place. You know what I'm saying? It's like, let's make sure it's a uh, let's make sure there's a black couple that's in this movie about a couple's retreat on some paradise island. And (laughs) having put the black couple in the movie, then they take them off the poster because they think, well, some people may not see the movie if they know there's a black couple in there. So what do they think when the people see the, start watching a movie and they see the black couple, uh-oh, we're going to walk out of the movie theater. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it, it's, by the way, the actor was a uh, Frizzo uh, Love, um, the, the actor that filed a lawsuit. Uh, you know, uh, it's a very funny comedian, uh, very uh, outspoken gentleman. And uh, when he did uh, bring up the, the subject and, and the topic, of uh, the issue about them not being in the poster, you know, uh, this this really uh, kind of you know pissed me off. To just be blunt about it, um, a Chicagoan, Vince Vaughn, he went to Vince Vaughn, and Vince Vaughn told him, "Look, you know, don't make waves, you know, just let it go, you know, don't worry about it." Da 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 da, and really just you know really silenced a young man, uh, the young actor, uh, Mr. Love. And so, um, you know, can you imagine uh, holding in that information, feeling like, you know, uh, you're going to be blackballed if you speak up, you speak out. And uh, just just in general, the, you know, the mental anguish, you know, that you had to deal with. And then, um, you know, like I said, finally, you know, he got the courage. And, and, and part of it is because of, uh, you know, Dave Chappelle coming out and, and speaking against Hollywood and some of the ills that they do. So, you know, again, you know, we just need more people to step up and speak out. And then we need, like, again, we need people like Vince Vaughn, instead of you saying uh, to him, you know, don't make waves. You should be uh, outraged as well. You should be standing side beside him as a colleague actor. And, uh, you know, you know, I, I was a Vince Vaughn fan, you know, uh, him being from Chicago in the Chicago area, Illinois, uh, you know, uh, now, you know, he's off my list, you know, uh, I mean, you know, I just, 
I just can't support uh, people that continues to uh, perpetuate and, and, and allow these things to happen uh, and think that they can continue uh, to function uh, in our society unscathed. So, you know, all you Vince Vaughn fans out there, you need to send out, uh, send some tweets or whatever and let him know that, uh, that his actions, uh, <clears throat> you know, will be uh, televised. Well put, Vincent, because really Vince Vaughn's a powerhouse. He's got, what is he going to lose? He comes to this guy's, he goes to bat for this guy. He's, he's not going to lose anything. You know what I mean? It, it, he stands up for his fellow actor. He's not going to lose anything. Just going along in some ways is worse than the people, you know, who promote the injustice in the first place. And, uh, you know, I look at the, like going back to where we began with the bears and how, it's really hard for the bears to uh, take a stand because in football, you know, your career could end. There's no guaranteed contracts from an injury. So it's a very violent sport. You know, it, Vincent, you played the game and uh, one injury, you're gone. So think about the bears had a coach, Mike Ditka for years, just the most right wing blabber mouth, blow hard, probably in his heart was prejudiced too. you know, some of the, like the way he dealt with Richard Dent. And, uh, I mean, you know, don't, don't say probably, I mean, clearly the players, uh, you know, talked about the culture inside the uh, Bears locker room on the field, um, with Dicker, you know, and, you know, I mean, clearly Mike Dicker, you know, it was is 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 was he was a racist, mm-hmm. you know, and you know just because you uh, you know uh, in a climate where you might be working around black people, Latino people, and stuff like that, uh, you know, in that capacity, I mean, he had to, you know, you had to form a you had to form a football team, and uh, you know, and in that climate, you're going to have black, you know, and Hispanic players, uh, players of color, you know. And so, um, so you have to make that work for you, but do that stop you from being, you know, saying that you're not racist? No, you know, and, and clearly, uh, there were some issues with Mike Dicker. So, you know, I mean, people, you know, people in the know, they know that. And, and, and people from the outside looking in, they know that we had the greatest running back of all time, you know, and you don't give him the ball on the one yard line. Mm-hmm. to score a touchdown. And, you know, Mike Dicker to this day, you know, he apologized. I, you know, I really shouldn't have did it, but, you know, the damage was done. You know, anyone accept that apology, you know, call me. I'll tell you why you shouldn't. Yeah. Well, uh, I, he's talking about, Vincent's talking about Walter Payton in 1986 in the Super Bowl. But, but the point I was going to make, it's so much pressure on a player to speak out against a powerful coach like Mike Ditka because you're in a, your contract's not guaranteed. Your career is so short. But So the thing is, like, if you have power in football. Well, you know, uh, just in general, whether you're, uh, you know, an actor or, you know, in, in the workplace, in the, in the office space, uh, working for AT&T or – Amazon or wherever you at in a position, especially in the executive role, you still should be able to, uh, you know, see the climate that, that you're in. And if, if people are not being treated fairly, you know, you should be able to, uh, you know, speak out about that. You know, we can, we could talk about, you know, uh, Oh my God, my head's off to the, to the, to the, uh, 
to the Mexican community for coming out uh, on the young lady that was killed on that base. I mean, the, the family, they fought, they marched, they stayed out there, they stayed on the military. And just recently, uh, I think a couple of days ago, maybe yesterday, the Pentagon uh, fired and suspended uh, 21 top uh, brass on that base because of the, the, the way things were handled. Uh, the sexual harassment, uh, you know, uh, amongst that young lady, uh, the Latino uh, uh, lady that got killed, and 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 the way that culture was, you know, people continue to allow that to happen. So, you know, um, I mean, we just need more people to step up. We need more people to speak out, and and clearly, we need more, uh, you know, white people to uh, get involved when you see something that's. Uh, it's not taking place. Use your white privilege uh, the right way, but more importantly, like that, then it, it shouldn't be happening anyway. So, uh, you know, uh, like I said, my hats off to uh, uh, the Latino community for really uh, stepping up and putting pressure on a very, very small, I'm um, very, very strong uh, government uh, military services, and uh, and so and they got results, you know, and and so. Uh, you know, that's what needs to happen. You know, we need to continue to speak out. We need to continue to uh, put the pressure on them. And, you know, enough of marching. You know, let's get out the vote. You know, let's get these people out of office that are not, uh, you know, uh, doing the right thing, taking sides uh, with uh, white supremacists and, and different other, uh, you know, ill, you know, illegal activities uh, amongst America. All right. Uh, we'll put and uh, let's close with this. Uh, the NBA season opens uh, right around Christmas time. My beloved Chicago Bulls. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my beloved Chicago Bulls that I remain loyal to <laughs> year after year after year. Uh, I uh, Are you going to join me in my prediction, uh, Vincent, that come June and July, if the pandemic allows the season to be held, that uh, you and I will be celebrating a Bulls championship victory with the Grant Park Parade? Uh, Do you uh, do you think do you see that in the future for my beloved Chicago Bulls, Vincent Norman? Uh, Let's see the Crisco ball here. No. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, uh, uh, here we go again now. Let's look at the Bulls organization. They, the, the, the black coaches that they passed up, you know, and, and, you know, listen, I know Billy Donovan, you know, uh, you know, I've, I've uh, had ties with him uh, through Joaquin Noel when he was there at the university. Joaquin Noel played on uh, a sports team that I had in New York, a D-band team, uh, Joaquin Noel and Danny Green. Uh, Billy Donovan, he's a, he's a really good teacher you know, in teaching the game, um, his coaching skills, excuse me, a little bit questionable, but you know, if you surround yourself around good coaches, you know, you'll be okay. And, and he's smart enough to do that. But again, you know, the general manager, the Bulls organization could have hired, uh, Mark Jackson. We talked about this before, uh, um, Johnson, uh, Avery Johnson, Avery, Avery Johnson, Johnson. And, and other uh, qualified uh, African-American coaches. But we have Billy Donovan. We'll see what happens. But, again, you know, uh, white power, white privilege, you know, continue the status quo. And, man, I'm, I'm going to tell you, bro, you know, one day, you know, some of these people that, are, you know, that sits in their little alarmy chairs in their executive suites, 
you know, and make these decisions, they're going to pay a heavy price, you know, and, um, you know, you know, I, I hate to see that day come, but, you know, uh, you can't continue to, you know, like Pharaoh, you know, just treat people like they're nothing, you know? So I'm going to leave it at that. You know, uh, I'm going to continue to fight the fight, you know, you know, no one's perfect out here, but you know, let's, you know, continue to try to uplift people. Inclusion is so important. Social financial, uh, uh, Economics is so important. Um, let's treat, you know, uh, Grand Park like Inglewood. Let's let's the same money you spend out there in in some of the upstate, um, excuse me, uh, up north communities, uh, Rogers Park and stuff like that. Spend that same money on the west side in Lawndale, in Inglewood, you know, in Roseland. So until that happens, <clears throat> there's still going to be disparity. No, we got a long way to go. We do. But, uh, All right, so let's let's start with this. Let's just r- correct the problem with the Bulls right now. Their head coach is Billy Donovan. His chief assistant is Maurice Cheeks, pride and joy of Chicago, DuSable High School. Let's do a flip-flop right now. Okay, let's make Maurice Cheeks the head coach and Billy Donovan the assistant. You, you, will you agree to that, Vincent E. Norman? <clears throat> I'll be the first one, you know, to say yay. Uh, you know, I think Maurice Cheek is more than qualified to be a head coach. Uh, and, yeah, I, I would agree with that, you know. And, and again, you know, uh, who knows? You know, we'll, we'll, you know me personally, uh, I, you know, I want to give the guy a chance, you know, just like I said, again, because, uh, you know, past relationships. But, uh, you know, it's unfortunate he's in that position, but I would definitely like to see uh, – of, you know, Chicago Bull, Bulls hiring a black coach, you know, yeah. qualifying black coach, you know, and we got to stop with the, you know, the black and white thing, hire somebody that, you know, is qualified for the job. And, you know, we got some good candidates out there that's black that's, you know, qualified. Well, I'm a big fan of Maurice Cheeks. I just have to say that. Uh, I remember when he played high school basketball in Chicago and he played for the Philadelphia 76ers. I always wanted him on the Bulls. He never played on the Bulls. And then he was a head coach uh, several times. I think of your beloved Portland Trailblazers. He was the head coach of the Trailblazers. Um, and that was my subtle way of reminding Vincent that he predicted the Trailblazers would uh, get past the, <laughs> the Lakers. And uh, that was a very subtle way I did that uh yeah i know i know <laughs> so uh vincent i'm i i promise to save a spot for you in grand park for that bulls championship party that's going to take place in july i got a spot that i will save for you because this is the year my beloved bulls will win it all all right vincent? Uh, no way <laughs> yeah i hope so maybe you know we'll see We'll see. All right, Vincent, I want you to stay safe and sound and have a great uh, Christmas and New Year's, and I'll be talking to you again in January, I'm sure, all right? Yes, sir. You take it easy. Happy New Year's. Merry Christmas. I want to thank Vincent E. Norman for an outstanding job, and, of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of all Illinois, without whom the show be possible, as Vincent E. Norman and Phyllis will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody.